0: Good morning, y'all. Good morning. So we're going to finish our study of Revelation 6 this morning. We've been talking about this for a number of weeks. We've been going through the seals, and we're talking about the fifth seal and the sixth seal this morning. So last week, we mainly dealt with the chronology, like when do these seals take place? We talked about when the martyrs are killed for their faith and how these martyrs are executed apparently soon after the rapture in the first half of the tribulation. And there'll be another martyrdom to come later on that is under the Antichrist. So we distinguish between those. We talked about heaven departing and how this seems to be a literal event that takes place towards the beginning of the tribulation instead of something that looks ahead to the end of the tribulation as some people interpret it. But this morning we're going to look uh, look more into the applications of it, and that's what we're going to talk about. And so before I do that, I just want to pray because though I've studied this throughout the week. I just want to ask God to guide me to say whatever he wants me to say. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the rewarding study that I've had of your word throughout this week. And I pray, God, that the insights that I discovered that you once shared this morning, that you will just speak those, give me the words to say. And I pray, God, that you will use your word this morning in a powerful way to encourage us, to guide us, and to help us realize that you're coming back. We have a purpose in the meantime. And help us, God, to have the strength and wisdom to accomplish that. We thank you, Lord, for everything. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so in verse number nine, the cry of the martyrs, when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And so the first point, or fill in the blank for your notes, is the blood of Christ's witnesses demands justice. Now, this is something that I think can be easily passed over as obvious. Well, of course, the blood of martyrs demands justice. I mean, these are people that they've given their lives for the word of God and their testimony, and I can't imagine the amount of pressure that they were dealing with. The pressure on them, their family members. And so it seems obvious, but let's consider something. These people who are shedding their blood for the Lord, they're people who would be no different from the world that's about to be judged if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus. You ever just consider that? Just remind yourself of where you come from. These are people who were brought out of the world, and they were made witnesses. They weren't born witnesses. And so contrary to a lot of religions in the world and Christianity, one's not born into Christianity. One can be born into a Christian household. One can be influenced from the time they're little in Christianity, but Christianity ultimately is a choice that everybody has to make to receive Christ into their life and to be that witness for Him. And so these are people who made that choice and they were forgiven of great sin. I think about all my sin and I ask myself, would I ever feel worthy to be in this position, to cry with a loud voice and say, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Part of me, and I would say this is the born-again nature in me, and I think you can probably agree with this experience, we have that which the Holy Spirit has given us, and we have a spirit of discernment through the Holy Spirit. So when we look out at the world, we're able to see evil for what it is. We're not ignorant because we have believed the truth. And so we cry out against that injustice. But sometimes we forget, I think, in the moment, I sometimes forget that it didn't have to be that way for me. I could be like just the rest of the world and be completely oblivious. And so I have to go back to where I came from. And I think about how my parents taught me the truth and their parents taught them the truth. And I've always wondered, and I'll find this out, I guess, when I get to heaven, but how far back does that go? You know. Uh, who was the first to take the gospel to my ancestors and how far back that goes. But that was a plan of God that I don't understand the details of. Um, I know that God, you know, he he works things together in ways that we can't comprehend. But it makes me thankful for the grace that God has shown me and for the household that I was raised in makes me thankful for all these things, but I'm also just keenly made aware of the fact that it didn't have to be that way, and I could be, I was at one point a part of the world just like everybody else. But again, bringing this back to how it applies, one of the questions that I wrote down as I was taking these notes, when I go out of the world, let's make this a little broader, when we come out of the world, when the rapture happens. Will we be on God's side? Now, I know that seems obvious that, of course, we'll be on God's side, right? That's why we're going out of the world. That's why he's taking us out. I mean, we are born again. We're his children. But these are people who aren't just born again, right? These are people who, yes, they got saved after the rapture, all right? But when they came out of the world, they came out of the world victorious. And while I don't really long for martyrdom, okay, Uh, I'd rather have a fruitful life of Christian ministry to those around me. And I'd like to die in my old age, surrounded by those that that love me, that I love. But these are people who came out of the world with a testimony, not of just being saved, but a testimony of overcoming. And that's the same sort of testimony that we can have even apart from martyrdom. I've talked about this a lot. And the reason I talk about martyrdom a good bit and overcoming, especially in the book of Revelation, is because this was something they faced in the first century that we here in America, we just were not... We're honestly not phased by it as much unless maybe we've had conversations with people who maybe, you know, have been there, right? And if you have contact with missionaries and you hear their testimonies, it becomes a little more real to you, right? But here in America, martyrdom is not something that it's not close to us is what I'm trying to say. It's not an imminent threat. And so it's something that I think that we need to remind ourselves of. But at the same time, we shouldn't say, okay, well, since we're not in a position of danger, what we do doesn't matter. We still are surrounded by conflict all the time. And we see examples of compromise. We see how the church is failing in so many ways. And they're giving into the left-wing agenda. They're giving into a satanic agenda. That's really what it is. It's not even about the left or the right. These are people. And uh, many people of, you know, of the world around us um, are deceived. And, and so whenever we think about that opposition, what do we do in the midst of it? Well, we stick to our guns and we raise our kids up the right way and we don't compromise and we go to church and we don't, uh, lay aside our profession of faith and, and not just our profession of faith in Jesus, but we don't stop standing for biblical morality. There are a lot of people have no problem saying, I believe in Jesus, but what about standing for what Jesus stands for? What about saying, I actually believe what the word of God says when it comes to all these different controversial issues. And so we have ways that we can overcome too. But when the rapture happens, I guess what I'm trying to say is uh, there will be a group of people that when they come out of the world, they will be able to say, not that they will say this, okay? This is just what comes to mind. They'll be able to say, like, I told you so. This is what we were saying. Like, God was right. And we realized that God was right. Not perfectly, okay? None of us are perfect, but we saw what was at stake and we didn't live for the world. We, We sought first the kingdom of God. I want to be the person who's able to say, like, God, I'm ready for you to end this because I was there. I fought the good fight and I'm ready to see the victory come finally and fully. And that's what these people are basically doing. They're saying we're ready to see the victory. We fought the good fight. And uh, I know that they probably saw God win many battles as they were sharing their faith while they were in the world. But obviously, the fact that their blood was shed means the justice has not been accomplished yet. I don't want to be that person who stands before the Lord and says, you know what? I really don't have a right to say, God, avenge our blood. God, avenge justice. I don't want to be the person who's like, well, I was just like him. I looked like him. Okay. I wasn't set apart. I didn't look any different. I want to be different. And uh, that's something I think we should all strive for. The next thing is in verse 11. It says white robes were given unto every one of them. Obviously a Christian who's born again is covered in the righteousness of Christ. And that analogy is used many places in scripture to refer to justification. But here it specifically pertains to these people who gave their lives for their faith. These white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So the next point is those who lose the world's approval gain heaven's favor. And I think it's really interesting um it it seems strange to me how accommodating God comes across in this text um reading these words to me it's like i don't know if I'd feel comfortable saying that like you know, i'm I'm happy that I'm in heaven i'm happy that I'm saved, and um you know if I lived a life worth living, I can say I'm happy that I did that for the Lord, but at the same time, I mean they cry with a loud voice, a very persistent voice. How long? Oh Lord, holy and true. They're very frank with God and God, instead of saying, all right, now okay, remember what you were. Remember who you were before I saved you. He doesn't do that. He tells them, here you go. Here's a white robe. Okay. This white robe is a sign of your faithfulness. So he gives them that. And then he says, just rest for a little while. Just be patient for a little while. And to me, that's extremely profound. He supplies them with the distinguishing mark of their faithfulness, and he tells them to wait just a little longer. And uh, it shows how much esteem they held in his eyes. And it shows that while, yes, we should be very much aware of the fact, as I just labored to prove a second ago, we should be very aware of the fact that we were once part of the world and brought out of it. But at the same time, we should not downplay the work we do for the Lord. And that's so easy for me to do. There's a balance there between thinking, oh, I'm the best thing in the world, and and I need to be the example for everybody. You need to look to me and be like me, okay? That's arrogant. The Pharisees were like that. We obviously need to steer clear of that attitude. But at the same time, it's too easy for us as Christians, and y'all know who you are if you're like me, uh, we really beat ourselves down. And we think, oh, what we've done is just worthless. You know, we haven't done anything worth value. I feel that way many times. Like, what have I done? You know, what 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 is there to show for you know, all the time and effort I put into it. And, you know, and maybe that effort, even though I, I thought that it was good, maybe I didn't say something right. I didn't do enough. You know, those are things that run through my mind. And we, we can easily do that often, but we have to remind ourselves, okay? This is sort of like a, a, a reminder to balance the point that I've already stated. And we need to remind ourselves that God does regard our work with value. That even though we don't deserve any of what he's given, Even though we don't deserve his grace, God, because of the blood of his son, which covers us, can look upon us and he can see something good that we've done. And he could say, that is good. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like that is good. And I'm proud of that. Now we wouldn't be able to be in a position to receive that sort of uh, estimation in God's eyes if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus. But because of our relationship with Christ, he's able to look at us and say, that's good work. I'm proud of that. And so that's a reminder for me, just as much as it is for y'all, because I can really easily beat myself up. But these are people who stand before God. And instead of God telling them, all right, remember where you came from, all right? You're sinners saved by grace, just like the rest of them. He says, no, take these robes as a sign of my affection and my pride for what you've done and, and rest just a little while. Be patient. Be patient. I'm going to do it. Don't worry about it. And instead of him losing his patience, he says to them, just be patient. I'm going to do it. Don't you worry." And and I I don't know the right word, but the word placate comes to my mind. It's almost like when you're talking to a kid, you know, it's like, here, take this, take your bottle, take your blanket here. I'm going to put on a movie. Just calm down. Uh, I've got this. It's okay. And in this case, he's not, they're not doing anything wrong. They truly do stand with God. We just talked about that when they come out uh, of the tribulation, they're given white robes because they really are on God's side. And there's zeal for justice. Is that a wrong thing to want justice? Have y'all ever felt that pull in opposite directions? Part of you is like, I want everybody to repent. But the other part of me knows not everybody will repent because the Bible says it's a narrow road that leads to life. And so you're stuck between this, I want everybody to repent. I don't want to see anybody judge. But at the same time, I'm like, judgment God, come back and judge the world because I'm kind of tired of the way things are. And there's so much sin everywhere. And I want to see it gone. So is there anything wrong with that righteous zeal? No, there's not. There's nothing wrong with that zeal. As long as we balance it with the same loving patience that God shows here. Um, And it's impossible for us to have it all together in the the proper order. I think even once we receive our glorified bodies, are we going to understand everything? I mean, uh, it's possible to be all justice. There's nothing wrong with that. And then at the same time, you know lay aside or neglect somewhat the love of God, the loving kindness of God, and so it's it's hard for us as human beings to have both at the same time to, you, yes, yeah, uh it's really tough for us to do that now in this case, these people are not coming across as uh, sinful and unloving, obviously they're commended, and the Lord doesn't correct them for their cry for justice, so it's a good thing because God's justice and they reflect him but uh, I just think it's interesting that even in heaven and we're reading about people who are in heaven, these are people who still can get caught up in the moment and they're not saying anything sinful, they're not feeling anything sinful, but god's saying no that's that's not my plan right now. so even though we may be free from sin in heaven, we're still not going to know everything and and it's often the fact that christians that they will talk that way. When we get to heaven, it's all going to be made clear. Not necessarily. I mean, uh, we're not God. We're not an infinite God. We don't have omniscience and we're not going to have it then. And this text illustrates that, I think, but it shows that it's hard for us as human beings to juggle all that. But God, even when we don't get it exactly right, he's still very patient and loving and he regards our work as honorable. If indeed that is what it is. Did you have something to say, Christy or sorry, Sandy, apologize. <laughs> That's Um, Sandy Christie. I got you mixed up. Go ahead. um, Are these martyrs that also came out of the old Testament saints that were martyrs? That's yeah. That's a question that um, it it doesn't say. I think that there's a really good argument to be made that just as the war that's mentioned in um, chapter six earlier on in verse number four, just as that war, it reminds us of all the war that's led up to the end times there has been many wars, but it all kind of builds to a worldwide war. That's not been seen yet. I think that it's probably similar to that. I think that the martyrs in particular that are being mentioned here are ones that came out of the great tribulation because the fifth seals opened and then they're revealed. It seems to be that just as the seals opened earlier, refer to the antichrist in the end times war in the end times famine in the end times. I think the martyrs are probably end times martyrs as well. But I I think the application still is broad enough to pertain to um, Old Testament, New Testament, everybody from the very beginning from the time of Abel, everyone who's ever died for their testimony for the Lord. I think it includes them as well. Um, and I think that those people are going to be crying for justice just as much as the people that just recently came out of the tribulation. Now, with them being under the altar, is that uh, a symbolic something, symbolism, or are they like locked i mean they don't have free room of no i, I don't think or- that it means they're under the altar in the sense that they're they're stuck there i think under the altar um signifies that they are um taking their pleas to god you know they're they're taking their prayers to god they're approaching him humbly uh the altar no doubt also has a connotation of sacrifice and you know they sacrifice much for the lord i think that's probably what's being referred to but under the altar wouldn't be like the altar is built on top of them, but they're they're at the base of the altar, looking up and seeking God's favor to answer their request. My thought was, if it's the tribulation saints that have been martyred, if we think we've seen evil and we want justice for that, yes, they're gonna yeah. really see evil. Absolutely, and that's something that. How much more are they gonna want justice? You're right, and that's something that I, I didn't consider, but that's absolutely true. Um, it is going to be a lot worse than the tribulation than any other time in history and persecutions. They've gotten pretty broad in the past. I mean, we can think of empire wide persecutions with Rome. We can think of communist regimes and Russia and China, but I mean, all over the world, like without exception and not just all over the world by coincidence, like everybody's all these different countries are just happening to do the same thing. But no, it is a, a worldwide concerted effort. Yeah, it absolutely. a Great reset. That's true. That's true. So uh, the next point is uh, verse 11b, which we've already read, but uh, he says that there are going to be more who give their lives for the Lord. And in verse number 12, it says, I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal and lo, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. So this is describing God's wrath being poured out in a unique way. Uh, This is not God's wrath as it's experienced now. Uh, God does pour out his wrath upon nations. He's judged nations. We know that he's forgiven nations like the story of Nineveh. Uh, I think you mentioned Jonah. And so uh, we do see God showing his wrath in history, but this is at the very end of history. And he's already been showing it up to this point when he's opened the other seals. So some people would say the wrath of God in the end time sense, the day of the Lord begins right here. Some would join it with the start of the seven years. Some would join it with the rapture happening. These are pre-tribulation views that I respect, but I'm not convinced of them. I think that we've already seen the beginning of the tribulation as soon as that first seal was opened up and the Antichrist was revealed. But these are things, the war, the famine, the pestilence. These are things that maybe people in the world who are hard-hearted can dismiss. Like, you know, yeah, we've had war before. It's really bad now, but we've had war before. Yeah, we got pestilence, but there's always been pestilence, right? I mean, think of the Black Plague. Think of like Spanish influenza. Like we've had these things. Yeah, and COVID 19. Yeah, now, we've seen these things before. And so I think people can easily dismiss that, but this is going to be God revealing his wrath in a way that no one can deny. Okay. Uh, so the wrath of God's already begun at this point, but this is simply revealing it in a clear manner. But uh, the next point for your notes is God's love is so great that it holds back his wrath for a time. And uh, the martyrs, when they cried for justice, and we talked about how that was a righteous thing, uh, they were thinking, okay, we've reached the end of history. I mean, things can't really get any worse, can it? I mean, this is the time for you to come back. And we sometimes feel that way too. We know that, again, not everybody's going to repent. Not everybody's going to be saved. So it's like right now, like right now, people are so hard in their hearts that you might think we've reached that point where there's nobody else who's going to repent. Um, But people are still getting saved on a daily basis all over the world. And so we have to continually learn, not just you know, in this example, but in every area of life to defer to God's plan, even when what we wish for isn't wrong, you know, them wanting God to come back and setting up his kingdom and and judging that wasn't a wrong thing to ask for. Okay. It was a good thing. And God says, I'm going to do that. It's just going to be a little bit longer. Uh, but it's really easy for us to think, okay, God, this is a right thing. What we're praying for is right. And we know it's righteous and we know you're righteous. So why aren't you doing this given what we know about you? But sometimes God has reasons for putting off righteous things that he plans to do in the future. And in this case, he's trying to get more people's attention. That's why anytime I talk to someone who doesn't really buy into the whole pre-trib view or literal tribulation view, I just share with them that this is God just trying to get people's attention. And he's giving them many signs. Uh, This is the second universal supernatural sign that's described in Revelation. The first one's the rapture. Everybody We'll hear of the rapture. There's not going to be a single person in the world that's com- completely unaware of the rapture. I mean, it's going to affect everybody. The second sign is here. Heaven is unveiled. The clouds are rolled back. The sky itself was rolled back. There's something space-time physics going on right now whenever the sky parts. I mean, they probably see into heaven because it says we're trying to hide from the face of the one that's on the throne and from the Lamb. So they probably see into heaven. This is a supernatural sign. Everybody in the world is going to experience it. Then you have the third one, the two witnesses when they're resurrected. Everybody all over the world is able to see it, okay? And, of course, that makes sense now, given our technology, you know, TV. Commu- oh, yeah, phones oh, and communication, smartphones, all that. On oh Yeah, you're, yeah, you're right. All those right. security videos. I'm That's right. So you have that is going to affect everybody all over the world. And then, of course, the fourth one is the angel preaches. So there are uh, the angels that, that go about and they preach in the heavens, okay? So they're flying about the earth, okay? and they are going to preach and people are going to hear them and people are apparently going to see them. So you have four signs that are indisputable proof that God is real. The Bible is true and judgment is coming. And sadly, uh, the majority of the human race will not repent when they hear these things. And to go along with this, won't. the majority will not No, And that's why it's so astounding, but I can kind of, I can kind of believe it. And I'll tell you how I can kind of believe it because there are people today like Richard Dawkins. Okay. He's a very famous atheist. You know, Charles Darwin was the most famous evolutionist in the 1800s. Richard Dawkins is probably now, uh, but he has been asked before, like what would convince you that God is real? Okay. He's written a whole book called the God delusion, you know, venting his frustrations against Christianity and all religion. So what would convince you that God is real? And he said, well, you know, some people would say it would be pretty convincing if God just appeared in the sky and you could see him and you could hear his voice booming really loud. He said, but even if that happened, uh, I, I feel like part of me still wouldn't believe. So initially he was like, maybe I would believe if this happened, but then he was more upfront about it and said, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say maybe it's a, a case of mass psychosis or hallucination or maybe, you know. You Maybe somebody used technology to play a trick on us. But so the point is, he was he was basically challenged with, tell us what would convince you. And that was the best he could come up with. But he said, even then, I still probably wouldn't buy into it. I might, but I still probably wouldn't buy into it. And that's, that's pretty telling. What this goes to show is exactly what scripture says, that God is going to appear in this manner in the most obvious way possible. And there will be an instant where Richard Dawkins say he's alive at this point. OK, uh, there will be an instant of recognition, like there will be no denying that this is the Lamb. It clearly says that everybody recognizes this is the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb. But as soon as it's over, as soon as the sign goes and the, and the clouds resume their natural course and, you know, this window into heaven is, is shut, the shutters put up, people will then say to themselves, what I see really happen was that a hallucination? Maybe it was real. Everybody experienced it. But just because everybody experienced it doesn't mean that's the right interpretation. These Christians saying that it's God. Maybe it's something else. I can imagine people. I think I I could pick out people that I know in my life or know of that would, that would not believe even if they saw that. Uh, in the moment, there's no way to deny. It. That's why the Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. Like in the presence of the glory of God, no one will be able to deny it. But God is not in the habit um, of forcing people to their knees, and so he gives people enough evidence to believe, but he's never going to overwhelm them and force them to believe. That's why he shows this evidence, but then he takes it away. He he puts the light in the room, which blinds people and they can't deny that it's there. But then he takes it away just as soon as he brought it, and that's a merciful thing because this wakes them up and helps them realize. All right, I have to answer this question. This is a pretty big question. Uh Christians are saying here that this is Jesus and he's coming back and if I don't believe I'm gonna be judged. But do I believe that or do I believe this other great delusion over here? Whatever the devil conjures up for that time. We don't know all the details, but they're gonna have options. Okay. And the sad thing is many people will believe in the satanic option. However, that doesn't change the fact that some people will believe in Jesus. What do you think about so, all the Bibles and books and videos? I think they'll burn burn them I think there probably will be a concerted effort to suppress all literature Won't pertaining to the Bible. Go to, go to that and try to figure out what happened. Yeah, some of them. Illegal. Some of them, yeah. I think there will be definitely some people who get saved with the rapture. Other people will get saved after this point uh, because they'll be like, oh, how can you deny that? But again, it, it's, it's one of those things where the majority of people, okay? The Bible, again, depicts Babylon as the world order. The majority of people are being killed in these tribulation plagues. The majority of people are believing in what, the Antichrist has to say, when it says the whole world's going after the beast, it's not an exaggeration. I mean, it's, it's talking about the majority of the population. I don't think they even need to get rid of the Bible. This generation doesn't read. Pretty they illiterate. Stuff yeah. of Reddit. They're not going to, you know, they learn on YouTube. They're not going to pick up a Bible. They cherry pick stuff too. Yeah. They cherry pick the Bible to disprove it. And so I think you're right. Absolutely. I think that, uh, a lot of people, they've been conditioned to not trust the Bible uh, in this generation because of skepticism. And whenever this stuff starts happening, it's like, there's this knee jerk reaction to say, you don't really believe that. Do you? I mean, you, you seriously expect me to believe in God. Like some people, again, like Richard Dawkins, no matter how obvious the sign, um, as soon as that sign comes and goes, I have a feeling that a lot of people are going to say, no, I'd rather believe in these other options. And, um, It's sad to think about that, but again, God knows people who will repent and he's thinking about those people and he loves those people. And, uh, some people might say, well, I just don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair that these people would get the benefit of such a great sign, but you have to also understand that they are in the world when satanic deception is at an all time high. Uh, Satan is deceiving people more than, than he is now currently because he'll, he won't be restrained. All right. After the rapture. So these are people who, yes, they are getting the benefit of miracles that we haven't seen, but they also have more working against them in, in terms of satanic deception and God, because he's loving, he doesn't say, all right, well, you know, yeah, these people, you know, they had all this stuff available to them and you know, too bad. So sad. I mean, God in his love, he is long suffering and I'm thankful that he goes the distance for these people. Uh, but again, it's going to illustrate the pride of man in a, in a big way. Uh, but let's move on now and, uh, wrap things up. So, The next point, when the wrath of God is finally revealed, it will not be something that can be ignored. So, we talked about that. But, something that I wrote as I was studying this, I thought mountains can be moved now so that way they're not moved then out of place. And figs can ripen here so that they're not cast down there. I do think that these are literal mountains moving. I do think that the sky will literally roll back and people will see into heaven. I think that this stuff is cosmic, I think it's physical, I don't think it's a metaphor. Okay, I interpret it literally. But when it talks about these people who are kings of the earth and great men and rich men, and then it talks about mountains being moving out of place. I feel like that's how some people are. They're like those mountains they are so confident. They're so rooted in their ideology. And whenever Jesus finally comes back, let's push it all the way to the end of the tribulation. When he finally comes back and he doesn't remove his glory, when it comes finally and fully and there is a judgment set up, people will not be able to deny what they see. What they're saying, they will not be able to deny the obvious, and i think that uh the Holy Spirit can be used uh or uh is used now uh by the Son uh you know sending the holy spirit and and in, in, uh indwelling us um we are being used now to soften people's hearts uh I mean we're the instruments, the Holy Spirit is the one who is doing it, and you know God gets all the glory for that, but I think that These figs can ripen here so that they're not cast down. Then it says the fig casteth her untimely figs. That means these are not naturally falling off. I mean, uh, they're not ready to fall down yet, but they're thrown off the fig tree by the force of this wind. That's the uh, imagery that's given to us. And So um, let us be about God's work now and let the Holy Spirit use us as he will. Um, Last point, the most arrogant rebel cannot stand to look on the face of God. Let's look at verse 15. And the kings of the earth and the great men and rich men and the chief captains and mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand. Aren't y'all so thankful that we are exempt from this time period? Um, I was talking to someone the other day, um, really, really good guy, um, loves Jesus. And we were talking about just the state of the world and I, throughout the rapture, you know, I'm like, well, it's going to get bad, but I'm thankful that the Lord's going to take us out before it gets as bad as it's going to get. You know, I know that we're not exempt from martyrdom. We're not exempt from a lot of persecution, but we're exempt from the worst that history is going to experience. And, uh, he just nodded politely, but then he said, well, I have to disagree with you on that i'm like okay here we go and so we had ourselves a a a nice little discussion about it he said that he wasn't sure that the preacher view was the right view um and i said you know what i'm not dogmatic i think this is something christians can disagree on right but i said i do believe it and i explained why i believed it and he said oh well it's just something that was invented you know by darby in the 1800s and dl moody brought it over here and i'm like well actually there are lots of references in the early church to Preacher of Rapture, and I was about to share him, but he didn't really quite let me get to that. Um, and you know, our conversation was interrupted, anyways. But uh, this is something that we should cling to, and we should understand that this time period that we're reading about it is a time period designed, I believe, for two reasons: one, to get the attention of the Jewish people that are blind right now, and two, to get the attention of people who have not yet believed but will believe in that time period. I think that God knows the full number of people who are going to believe in history. (coughs) Bible makes that clear. He foreknows everything, including those who are going to get saved and he doesn't want anyone to perish. And I'm so thankful that because of what he's done in my life, I don't have to fear the great day of his wrath. And so let's share that with all the people that we can and let's be comforted by it. Uh, I know that's a simple application, but That's one of the best ones that comes out of this text is knowing that we are not going to be there and praise God for that. But uh, we'll continue our study next week. Um, For those who are listening, I just want to throw out, if you ever have any questions, there are ways you can comment on our podcast and on our website. And we also have a Facebook page. So if you ever want to ask a question, feel free to reach out to us. But God bless. Have a wonderful day. (laughs)